0: M. S. W. Media. Oh,
1: God, look what just creeped in. Well, well, well. (slurrite) Looks like somebody forgot there's a rule against alcoholic beverages. In fraternities on probation. That's I didn't get that, son. What was that? I said, uh, what a shame that a few bad apples have to spoil a good time for everyone by breaking the rules. Put a sock on it, boy, or else you'll be out of here like shit to a goose. Will pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill, it's time to have some fun. Do a little thinking, some picking and a-drinking, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Dunn. Well, we're drinking what I'm drinking right now. I got a homemade iced tea and Reka vodka. That's what I'm having. It feels very refreshing. I a little lemon in there. Reka's is a great vodka from Iceland. I'm foreshadowing an episode we're going to be doing soon where I'm going to be tasting through a ton of vodkas and giving you the verdict on the best vodkas you should be drinking. That's coming up in the next week or two. Mm. Coming up on this show, a little bit later, we've got the bar industry superstars Julie Reiner and Tom Macy be talking about a new line of ready-to-drink cocktails they have called Social Hour. We're also going to be talking about the state of the bar industry during these dire times. Uh, After that, later, later in the show, I'm going to be talking about Ellen DeGeneres, because I got some opinions on what's going on with Ellen DeGeneres. But first, this weekend marks the five-month anniversary of major cities like Los Angeles, where I live, and New York shutting down bars and restaurants in an effort to stop the spread of COVID-19. This pandemic has hit virtually every area of the national workplace, and it's hit it hard. I know many of you out there have been affected. But since the focus of this show is the adult beverage industry, I want to take a look at how this is affecting those folks, people that work in the booze biz. As you know, the CARES Act money that was... uh, congress gave to people who are out of work as that act has ended money ran out and a lot of that cares money was going to people who work in the you know bartenders and waiters and waitresses and and all those folks so they lost that six hundred dollar lifeline that they were getting every week but i wanted to find out you know how people were feeling so i went to the place where no one's really afraid to share how they're feeling and that's facebook i've got about 5,000 friends on Facebook, and about half of them work in the booze industry to try and gain some insight on what's going on with these folks. I just kind of went on and scrolled through, did a little surfing on Facebook. One of the posts I came across was from a a buddy of mine named Sother Teague, who's one of the best-known barmen in America. He hosts a show called The Speakeasy. He's the author of the books, I'm Just Here for the Drinks and Drinks with Friends, and he's also a partner in a couple of New York City bars, and he just posted something that really struck a chord with me and probably a lot of people in the industry. He said, well, the government is not coming to save the hospitality industry, even though it's estimated that 85% of all sole proprietorships will shutter by January. I don't know where Souther's getting that info, but that's what he put, and, and it doesn't sound unreasonable. Point number two was, nor is the government interested in stabilizing the workforce of the hospitality industry. Restaurants and bars are only allowed to operate at reduced capacity, meaning there's no way to hire back full-time staff, and the staff that does come back can't make the same income they once did due to the aforementioned reduced capacity. The third point Souther makes was no one in government has really stepped forward to even suggest that many hospitality workers aren't interested in going back to work due to safety issues related to the pandemic. And that is, it's true, it's a point that isn't often discussed. These people are putting themselves at risk for what? Service french fries and uh, margaritas? Number four, it's also clear that the public has no interest in saving the hospitality industry as they're easily bored and always on the hunt for, quote, the newest, hottest spots meaning that all the eminent closures will eventually result in new openings. Imagine how long the Eater heat map list will be. However, this is short-sighted as everything that opens for the next few years will be chain or cookie cutter establishments. Again, that's Sother Teague's point. I don't necessarily know that I agree with all the points he's making there, but I'd love to hear from you guys uh, at The Imbiber. Chime in on Twitter and Instagram. Let me know what you think. Sother's fifth point was many people keep suggesting those of us in the industry simply, quote, rise to the challenge or, quote, be more creative. Well, the rules and regulations that we're currently saddled with leave little room for more creativity. And this isn't a challenge. It's a hardship. Further, the limited outdoor seating model plus required food service dictates that my place is operating with four times the normal labor, but taking in less than a quarter normal revenue. Not to mention the cost of building and furnishing patio will likely be not be recuperated before it's too cold to serve outdoors. And that is a great point he's making. It's not long from now, they're not gonna be able to serve outside in many, many locations in the United States. In Los Angeles, they'll be able to, but most other places, they will not. It's unsustainable. Sother Teague's six point, and this is him talking, personally, I'm just exhausted. I've basically not rested since March 15th, trying to solve these problems, and has worn me down physically, mentally, and emotionally. Seven, I'm a fool if I think I'll not be among the aforementioned 85% that go out of business. I've already permanently shuttered two locations, so I'm looking for ways out. And his number eight point was, or is, it was fun while it lasted. That's Sother Teague, and and there's a lot to think about there, a lot to chew on there. Uh, Ultimately, I think I come away from that post feeling sad for him and for all the people that work with him and for all the people that enjoyed going to his bars and all the other bars out there. It's rough. Uh, And restaurants, obviously, are not immune to this as well. It's not just strictly bars. Uh, My friend at Wine LA, Ian Blackburn, uh, posted something. Uh, LA Times did a headline said, Jose Andres, Somne, and the Bazaar to close permanently after the SLS hotel owners terminate contracts. Those are places out here in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills area. And uh, Wine LA, Ian wrote, The damage the virus is causing to the restaurant industry is so significant, it will forever change the way we dine, celebrate life, and enjoy our city. We ha- may have few. We have new places in the future, but the void the loss of these landmarks will create will change our social fabric. Yelp reports over 50% of LA's restaurants are closed and most are permanent. That's now. That's not the future. That's now. Ian says, this is sink or swim time. Support your favorite places where they will be going away. Some have no shot. Some need your immediate attention. Some we will only remember. Ian Blackburn at Wine LA, which brings me to something that our friend H. Joseph Ehrman, H., uh, regular listeners know, was on our recent episodes that we did about the top most, uh, 20 most important cocktails ever. H. participated in that. He posted something, and this is a, a viral video that's going around with Morgan Freeman talking about saving the restaurant industry, and I'd like to play that for you right now.
1: Neighborhood restaurants are the lifeblood of our communities. They are where we come together and make lifelong memories. And right now, they are facing extinction. The COVID-19 crisis threatens to permanently close 85% of independent restaurants. 16 million people risk losing their jobs, disproportionately impacting people of color and single mothers. They are our friends. Our neighbors, our farmers, our bartenders, our family. One in four people who lost their jobs during the pandemic were restaurant workers. Without your help, our favorite places to eat will be gone forever. Tell Congress to pass the Restaurants Act now. Visit SaveRestaurants.com.
2: Do it. Do everything you can. I understand It's a struggle for everybody out there and not just the service industry. But think about your favorite bars. Think about your favorite cocktails, your favorite people who work in bars and restaurants. We got to do something because I don't know what the world will look like if 85% of the places that I love go out of business. What kind of world is that? I need some more of this. Vodka and iced tea. Um, maybe it's time to just jump into our interview. That's a good idea, right? Is that a good idea? Is that a good idea? I'm like Danny Downer today, aren't I? I'm sorry. Let's go to the interview, shall we? Joining me now, two luminaries from the New York cocktail scene Uh, They're two of the owners of the famed Brooklyn bars, Clover Club and Leenda. Leenda, Leenda, Leenda. I always, you know, I I pride myself on my ability to mispronounce even the simplest of words here on what we're drinking. But please welcome to the show the proprietors of the just launched line of canned cocktails called Social Hour, Julie Reiner and Tom Macy. Hi.
3: Hello.
2: Thanks for joining (laughs) us on the show. I'm recording, I'm in California, I'm recording this, it's a little early out here, so I, I apologize for that I'm not drinking the social hour right now, but I did drink it the other day over the weekend, you guys were kind enough to send me some, and it's delicious, and I and I mean that because I don't pull any punches normally about, about there are a lot of shit canned cocktails <laughs> out there, a lot of shit bottle cocktails out there, including a lot of my, not a lot, several of my friends have made you know, uh, pre-made cocktails and sent them to me and said, what do you think? And I go, how about those Phillies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you, but yours That's is good. Subjects. Yours is good. And so, uh, it, I guess Tom, it came about because of your quest to find the perfect gin and tonic. So tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah. Um, it was like, you know, seven years ago now or something. Um, I mean, I've, I've, uh, really gravitated towards, uh, classic recipes and perfecting them and like breaking them down to like every element and trying to just make the perfect version of it. Um, and the gin and tonic is one of my favorite drinks. Um, and uh, you know, I, I will make them at home for my wife and I, and you know, I'll put the gin in the freezer and I'll have the small bottles of tonic so that they're perfectly carbonated and I'll measure the ratio of the gin and the tonic. And I was like controlling all these elements and just realizing that to make a really great gin. And, and, and then the first sip, or two or three are really the ones that are like the really good ones. And I was just sort of, you know, going through all that effort, realizing like, you know, why can't I get a gin and tonic, you know, in a bottle or a can like you, you, all the, both of them are shelf stable. I buy them both at the store. Why don't they exist? And then it was basically like, why doesn't this exist? It seems like a no brainer. And that just, uh, pulling on that thread led me down this whole rabbit hole, which we are just now coming out the other side.
2: But to back it back it up a little bit, when you say your quest for the perfect gin and tonic, did you find that you were having a lot of bad gin and tonics? And what makes a bad gin and tonic?
3: Well, I mean, I think we all that's that's the thing. that's really funny about gin and tonics is because you think of it as like the epitome of a simple drink. Um, But I think those of us who enjoy gin and tonics all know the you know crushing disappointment of a poorly made one. I mean, it, the the ice will be really wet; it'll get watered down right away. Tonic from a gun is really poorly carbonated. Uh, sometimes they're really heavy on the gin. I mean, it's uh, it can go wrong in a lot of different ways. And you know, when I started messing around with, uh, I started learning about how to carbonate things um, from scratch. I I realized I could make a better gin and tonic in a bottle than I could in a bar because I could micromanage all those elements.
2: So Julie, where do you come in on this now? Did you, were you involved at all in Tom's quest or did Tom just come to you with the idea?
0: Yeah, well, so Tom... Tom has been working at Clover Club for nearly the entire time that we've been open. Like, like he came in like six months after we opened. He started as a barback, then became a bartender, then became the head bartender, and then became a partner. Um, and he's always just been he has a real entrepreneurial spirit, and uh you know, and and he started talking to me about this idea, and I was like, it's a great idea. Let's, you know, and I just Supported him in, in the quest for and this. Go so for <laughs> yeah, and and then when he, you know, we, we start he he reached out and we started playing around with these things and started creating some. And so I came in and like I would sit down with Tom and taste all of these various samples and be like, well, this one's too tart, this one's too strong, this you know. And we. Went well, back but but and Julie,
2: told- but Julie, what do you know about cocktails? Come on. <laughs> And that's what, and I wanted to back you up a second there because you did mention Clover Club and how long Tom's been there. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, I want you to brag, but Clover, the Clover Club and, and, and where, you know, its importance in the New York cocktail scene, when it came around, and also, you know, your, your other experiences in, in the New York bar scene, Flatiron Lounge, which we're going to, I do want to talk about that in a little bit, but talk a little bit about Clover Club and, and, you know, it's, it's importance to the New York cocktail scene.
0: Yeah, I mean, Clover Club has been open. We just celebrated our 12th anniversary, um, and it really was uh, one of the very first like, high-end cocktail bars in Brooklyn. Uh, I moved to Brooklyn, and I realized that there was nothing really like that, and I sought out to open something, uh, you know, a nice, comfortable cocktail bar with really great food that um, would, you know, be a neighborhood joint but still – uh, a world renowned cocktail bar. And, and that's exactly what we did.
2: <laughs> so we, I did talk, I mentioned a flat iron lounge that, that closed in December of 2018 because at the time a rent hike, which now seems like another lifetime ago, because I'm thinking about the, the current situation and what's happening with tragically, you know, how many bars are going to close or not going to make it I think the days, maybe I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think the days of landlords jacking up the rent on bars is gonna, gonna be gone for a little while, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. Flatiron Lounge uh, opened in 2003, and we had you know, a very long run there. But yeah, they, I think when we moved in, the rent was eight thousand and change, you know, and then they wanted thirty thirty five thousand dollars a month for the Flatiron space. And I was, well, it's a cocktail bar. I didn't even serve any food. So it was just this business model no longer works, you know, which forced us to close uh, Flatiron um, in 2018. And then the Pegu Club, which I also was a partner in, we, at, we just closed due to COVID because there was no way that we were going to be able to provide it.
2: And that, and and now you, you also mentioned that not serving food that is a big issue going on right now. In fact, uh, I know there's a there's a, uh, a change petition cir- circulating uh, called "seating not eating." They want to. So basically, what happened was back in mid July, Governor Cuomo issued Executive Order 202- or a point, a two hundred two or point dot which said that they have to have food with their alcoholic beverages. And, and I believe this was a response to some places that had videos that had gone viral white horse Tavern, I think was one of them where there was, you know, everything's on video now and they could see people out They're flouting the rules. There's no social distancing. They're not wearing masks. So the reaction was simply shut it down, but that's going to be untenable. I think for a lot of, a lot of people in New York, correct? a lot of bars in New York, right?
0: yeah I mean basically when when uh, when they first started allowing us to have outdoor seating, which has been great, you know I mean we at least are able to have some tables outside. Uh, you know, you could serve somebody a cocktail to go or they could sit down at a table and yeah, their answer, you know, to what was going on in the East village and places like in the white horse tavern, these are all neighborhoods that have a ton of bars, you know, St. Mark's it's all bars and restaurants. So of course, if there's a bunch of people going to each individual place, too many people. You know, uh, and Cuomo saw it and just said, "Okay, you have to order food with your drinks, which basically cuts out a ton of places that don't serve any food. You know, if you're a cocktail bar that is no food, then you're kind of shit out of luck, you know.
2: So do you believe that's just arbitrarily single? It's a way to sort of limit how many people are going to go out in general at the expense of cocktail bars, because I'm quite frankly not seeing how bringing food into the equation somehow limits the spread of COVID. Is it like the French fries are going to catch the COVID instead? Or
3: I think that it is like this idea that, you know, it, you, when people are just drinking and they have a few drinks that they, they, they talk really loud and they, you know, they, it, it, it creates conditions where they they're just more loose and, and that it might, uh, be more likely to spread, I think, but like, um, and then while that is certainly true in some instances, I think, you know, people sitting at our tables and having a couple of drinks as they often do, uh, whether or not there's some food on the table, isn't going to make it more or less dangerous for anyone. Um, and wait, Tom, so that- are you,
2: are you suggesting? Cause I feel like we have some breaking news here. Are you suggesting when people get drunk, they, they act like <laughs> assholes because, uh, wait a minute, it's like
3: assholes. I just say they get animated and <laughs> close to each other's faces.
2: You know what? <laughs> I think I've had that. That's happened to me once or twice. Uh, Honestly, I, I can, certainly get what you're – oh, go ahead, Julie. Sorry.
0: I was just going to say they, they've changed the rules like every two weeks. So many times. It's like we can't even keep up anymore. Now we're like, okay, so if they sit down, they could. there are even things that don't count as a meal. Like they can't sit down and order just the olives on our menu, but they can sit down and order the deviled eggs because it's protein. You know, I mean –
2: yeah, it's it's tough. And, and you know, I I'm out here in L.A. and I've got, you know, a bunch of friends in the industry as well. And, you know, one of the things that I've I've found really, really must create a tremendous amount of anxiety is, you know, we like you guys, we opened back up. But then there was a spike and it was like, all right, now there's talk. They're going to shut it back down. And I remember sitting at a friend of mine's bar and they, you know, outside they had the outside seating and all that which was barely keeping them afloat and he said to me straight up he said man if they close us down again we're we're done like we're not going to make it and you know and i know 20 people that work there and it's it's very uh disheartening and i and i realize that people in in industries across the board are going through this but finding that balance between doing it safely and doing it smartly because just these blanket sort of edicts of no you're shut down this it it doesn't work i but i understand that it's from a bureaucratic level it's got to be extremely hard they can't do it on a case by case basis certainly
3: right and that's the thing is that some bars it maybe is a good idea but others it you know for us it just makes it more difficult and i think everything was fine before um, yeah it's not you can it's hard to make blanket uh policy like that and make it effective for everyone, you know.
0: Yeah. The good yeah, news we is coming in wanting to order a to-go cocktail, and I'm like, Well, you have to order the hummus, hummus. and chips <laughs> if you have a cocktail. So now they're to go cocktail, which it's a thirteen dollar cocktail, but now you have to buy a five dollar hummus and chips in order to be able to buy the cocktail. And then we're arguing with people, it just is like I'm like, is it even worth it? You know?
2: <laughs> well, speaking of cocktails, the good news is if you don't want to go out, you can you can bring them in, and that's what you guys have done now with social hour. Uh, Social hour is a, the name. Tom's. I'm gonna just say it's right. Tom's family. I guess you called happy hour, social hour. Is that what it was, Tom? It was cocktail
3: hour. Cocktail hour. So, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like sort of you know my grandparents would do that very like '50s thing where like from whatever six to seven or five thirty to six thirty they would. Have cocktails and snacks, and it was very much like cocktail hour, and then dinner time. You know, it was very regimented. You know, every day or something like that. And then, but anyway, social hour was like the term. I just grew up. Social hour was the the term that was always used, and you know, I became enamored with it. It's a really fun time. You know, especially as like I don't enough to drink, and obviously I got into cocktails. It became my career path. And then when I when I started thinking about this is even before the canned cocktail idea, or sort of at the same time. It was just like what I wanted to say in in, in my career, like what I wanted to put out into the cocktail world. I realized that social hour kind of uh, crystallized what cocktails meant to me, which is about the there, there's something celebratory about them that really brings people together, and it's magic, you know? Um, so it, I just really love the idea of taking, uh, changing the word from cocktail to social, because it's really about the time that you, the quality time you spend with people more than it is about the drinks.
2: Well, and you know, while I was sitting home alone in quarantine drinking mine, uh, (laughs) I can tell you, I was like, I know it's cheesy, but (laughs) no, it's, you know, here's the thing. They got, you got three, you got a gin and tonic, you got a straight rye whiskey mule and a Pacific spritz. Uh, you're getting so for the gin and tonic. You're getting the, the navy strength gin from our friends at New York Distilling Company, and you're blending that with tonic water made exclusively for this drink, uh, and and it really is. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it, Tom. I think you found the perfect gin and tonic here. And then the uh, the the straight rye whiskey mule, same thing. You're using their their ragtime rye from New York Distilling Company, a uh, citrus forward ginger beer in that and you can drink it right from the can which is what i did or you could put it over ice with some lemon or lime and then you finally got the pacific spritz and who doesn't mm-hmm. love a spritz right julie
0: exactly we had to get one in there <laughs> it's one of my yeah. go-tos
2: and this is brand new these are this is hot off the presses right just came out this week yes yep. yeah. yeah 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 now where can people go to get it and, and and it's just available in the in the tri-state area back there on the east coast right
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's New York and New Jersey. I mean, yeah, no, we are like, it's literally all happening like all around us at this, you know, we're uh, we're just starting to introduce and make introductions to retailers. Um, we've gotten a lot of interest just sort of through social media and stuff, but it's hard. You can't uh, go around anymore and sort of say, hey, do you want to try this? You kind of have, you have to set up appointments and you can't just walk into places. So it's taking, you know, it's a little more, uh, involved, I think that it would have been five months ago or so. But one thing that's really exciting um, in terms of broader access uh, is that in a, about a week, um, we are going to have the ability uh, to offer delivery in Manhattan and Brooklyn uh, throughout um, through our website. People can order. And then you can also, and then in New York, you'll uh, be able to be shipped to anywhere in New York State. And what's the um, website? Socialhourcocktails.com.
2: No way. Where'd you come up with that name? <laughs> very clever Dude, a, a lot of time on tom's hands um <laughs> i let me i just want to and and uh, really i if you're back there in new york new jersey and you can get your hand and you can you want to have a drink i, I highly recommend that it. it's delicious about was about 20 bucks for a four pack yep 20 bucks for a four pack that's a steal if you were drinking at the clover club it's not 20 bucks for a four pack i'm going to tell you that right now <laughs>
3: totally but i yep.
2: but a- along those lines with drinking at bars uh, you know i let's start with you julie where do you where do you see this going like i, I mean even you know this is going to end right we all believe that there's going to there is going to be a vaccine at some point there is going to be a light at the end of this long dark tunnel we're in but what what do you see as someone who has been so instrumental in shaping the cocktail scene in new york what do you uh where do you see it going
0: well, I mean, like you said, you know, we're all sort of just holding out for a vaccine because unless, until people can safely be together, uh, bars will never be the same. You know, um, bars are about conviviality. They're about groups of people you know, being around each other, shaking hands, giving hugs. And those are all the things that cannot happen. So, um, and I think that the the way that we do business is definitely going to change. Um, we're going to have to think outside the box and, just try to make it, make it through this, uh, to the other side and then edit our business models. Um, but you know, it's New York's in New York city. I mean, and everywhere else, like people like to get out. They like to meet friends. They like to have delicious drinks. And, um, I'm hopeful that we'll be there. We can get there again.
2: Amen to that folks. I've never admitted this on the show before, but I'm a guy. Yeah, it's true. And as a guy, I'm here to tell you that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our hair. That's why when we get into our 20s and 30s and start noticing the first signs of hair loss, it definitely feels like panic time. Because let's face it, no guy is ever ready to go bald. Thankfully, now there's Keeps, the simple and easy way to keep your hair. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get hair loss medication delivered right to your home. They make it easy and deliver your medication every three months. So you can say goodbye to pharmacy checkout lines and awkward doctor visits. Keeps treatments typically take between four to six months to see results. So it's important to act fast. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. Treatments start at just $10 per month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. That's right, free. How? Well, if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to Keeps.com slash drinking That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash drinking to receive your first month of treatment for free. Take care of your hair, and your hair will take care of you.
3: Hey, this is best-selling author Joel Stein, and you're listening to average-selling author Dan Dunn.
2: My uh, news feed on social media has been inundated of late with articles aimed at taking down Ellen DeGeneres, yes, Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen, she's dancing, she's happy, she's giving away things. They want to take her down. I don't know, Ellen. I've never met her. I have no idea whether the workplace environment on her show is toxic or not. But what I do find alarming, chilling even, is that among all these stories I've seen, which collectively are almost certain to spell the end of the show she created, and a lot of people are going to lose their jobs because of that. Not a single Ellen employee current or former has actually gone on record with a complaint. Every grievance that I've seen reported has been attributed to anonymous sources. Did some of these things actually happen? Maybe, probably even. It's fucking Hollywood. Every show has at least a handful of assholes in position of power, right? It's the nature of the beast out here. But whether or not working on the Ellen show sucks or she's the aloof, phony bitch they're making her out to be is not the issue. The issue is how does one defend oneself from a mob of faceless accusers? To put it more succinctly, what do you do when they come for you? When you really don't know who they are or what's motivating them to come at you? Oh, it's worth pointing out that one of the anonymous employees' complaints about working on The Ellen Show was that someone there once said, used the term spirit animal. That's offensive to indigenous people. Really? Come on. So I actually posted something about this on my Facebook. I wanted to solicit some some comments and I got some interesting stuff. And since we're, you know, we're doing the social media thing today on the show, some some uh, samplings of the comments. One guy says a former employee started a Twitter thread about the abusive environment on the show and other former employees chimed in. So that's incorrect about them being anonymous. It is not incorrect. Person, I won't say who it is who made that comment. There were no names. They're saying things, but they're not attaching their names to the accusation. Another guy said, so you're suggesting there's a conspiracy to take down the blameless Ellen. Who's behind it? I don't know. My friend Phil said, "Deindividuation, Anonymity can be vital to get inequities and discrimination investigated in the first place, but the cycle has sped up. So that now there are no investigations. It's just allegation, mob, apology, show, book, event, person is canceled. Hardly anyone stands up to a mob, although it was heartening to see Trader Joe's apparently do just that recently. My friend Danny Fisher said it was NDAs. That's why no one's saying because they all sign NDAs. Entirely possible that that is the reason that this is happening. A uh, friend of said, I know a few people have worked on the show and made complaints to their supervisors. Nothing seems to have been done to fix it. I understand why they are angry now, but it's definitely not anonymous on the inside. But the inside isn't what's going to bring Ellen down. It's the stories that are being published. They're going to bring her down. Uh, Mary says, have you noticed that when you get big and famous or run a TV show, many people give in to the God complex and the people around them will do anything, including debase themselves to touch the hem of their garment from Fox News to Ellen or name a rock star movie star. Don't have to have political leanings to be infected by the jerkitude bug and feel like it gives you the right to do whatever you want to do to anybody. Many people take quite a bit of abuse before they complain because not to blame victims, they are complicit And that they have the desire to reach that fame or fortune as well. It takes a certain moment or synergy for people to resist or speak out and fight back. Then, like I just said, the victims get blamed for wanting a piece of the garment. Hmm, interesting point. Jennifer says, Unfortunately, in this country, I feel like we love nothing more than to build people up so we can later tear them down. You think? I don't know what her work environment is like, Jennifer continues but I have seen her put a lot of positivity in the world and help many in need. Rebecca says, I actually know a former employee and have several friends of friends who confirm the toxicity. I totally hear your point about the challenge of defending yourself against anonymous accusations, but I've seen and heard too many stories of people coming forward in this industry and others, I'm sure, and having it affect their career. And when you're speaking out against this powerful person and juggernaut of a show, the money in the company stands to lose. It goes away. I think their fears are justified. Another person chimes in said, who cares? America is not a constitutional crisis. Fight the powers that be. Well, I care, man, because I'm trying to fill up some space on this show. <laughs> then a buddy of mine named Michael. He's talking about the story written about Ellen. He says in the third paragraph, it says that they have 11 sources that have worked for the show. Of course, they're remaining anonymous. You risk either losing your job if it's current or being blackballed in the industry. Journalism, even BuzzFeed, relies on sources that need to remain anonymous. Otherwise, no one would ever report anything. Do you really need to know that it was Joe Smith? Or is it just enough to know that they are legitimate, relevant sources, Michael asks? Well, since you asked, let's say you're famous, Michael, or more famous than you already are and you and I have some unpleasant work-related interactions that lead me to the conclusion that you're an asshole. Now, you may not be an asshole in the eyes of a host of other people who've worked with you, but in my opinion, and say the opinions of a few others, you're an asshole. So I'm out having drinks with a friend at BuzzFeed News, and after a few martinis, I decide to let loose about what an asshole you are. My BuzzFeed reporter friend asks if it's okay to quote me because, you know, taking a big star like you, Michael, to task is a hell of a scoop. So I agree to let my BuzzFeed friend print all the nasty things I have to say about you, but on the condition that he quotes me anonymously, because, as many people have pointed out, I have legitimate fears of harming my career. My friend asks if there's anyone else who can back me up, and I steer him in the direction of some other folks I know who think you're an asshole, and they all confirm that you are indeed an asshole in their view. But none of them will agree to go on the record either with that charge. All the aspersions cast your way have been done so by nameless people who think you're an asshole. BuzzFeed runs the story, and now millions of people think you're an asshole too. And a host of other outlets pick up this story. Now, none of those outlets do any additional investigation because they don't have any money to hire actual journalists. They just reprint some form of that original, anonymously sourced story that is likely to torpedo your career. As the story picks up steam... Some folks you may have even heard of joining Michael as an asshole chorus on social media because hey, now those Z listers are trending because they had the guts to say yeah you're you're no cool you're not good, you're no good, Michael again, you may very well be a genuine grade A asshole who deserves to have his career ruined for all to see, but I ask you, do you think it's fair for you to be accused, tried, and convicted?" in the court of public opinion, without a single accuser ever having to stand up and be counted. Does that sound like justice to you? That's going to do it for this episode of What We're Drinking. I thank you for joining in. I invite you to follow me at The Inbiber on Twitter and Instagram. Give me some comments. Give me whatever you got. I'm ready. I'm ready for it.